the Business and Leadership Podcast with Jared Graybeal. Hey guys, welcome back to the Business and Leadership Podcast. This is your host, Jared Graybeal, and on today's episode, I've got with me Mark Mori. Mark is the founder of A Connected Leader, a consulting firm specializing in evolving executive leadership and company culture at companies such as Nike and Google, for example. Mark's goal is to transform outdated and struggling work environments into living systems of learning and growth. I'm super excited to learn more about what you do, Mark. Thanks for jumping on the show today. Thanks a lot, Jared. Absolutely, man. So let's sort of dive right in. Um, We talked a little bit about it already, but what's your short story, right? Like what is, how did Mark get to a place where you want to blend what you've learned in nature and apply it to leadership and company culture? Great. Well, um, first of all, I'm I'm a, I'm a really deep, curious learner of life. And um, I, you know, it started off with actually dropping out of college and pursuing what is life really about. And I ended up re-enrolling into art school as a kind of way of, of redesigning education for myself. So imagine, where would you go to redesign education? So I considered it like an artwork, hmm. redesigning my life, redesigning how I learn. And I quickly realized that there was a need for building the context for learning building environments where people could have better connection, better understanding, and better transfer of knowledge between each other. So that was what I worked on during art school. And um, it wasn't painting, it wasn't drawing, it was like uh, education innovation. And from there, I started a few businesses and worked for a corporate outward bound for a while. And I realized that there was a whole world of you could say untapped potential, but I think it's actually been forgotten potential of understanding how the interconnectedness of how nature functions and how communities can function that way. And we start to have a much stronger resilience in communities, families, and organizations. So that's kind of it in a nutshell, really drawing on living systems for new innovative approaches for getting work done. That's really interesting. And I, um, when you say how nature works, can you paint a picture of that for me? Sure. Um, there is a, an immense amount of diversity happening all the time and it's ongoing and unfolding. But if we're not educated to pay attention to that, it could occur as flat and and fixed. And I think this is a mindset issue. Um, you know, you've probably heard about a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. Mm-hmm. And that perception of the natural world keeps us thinking that it's always the same. So the same uh, technique or the same approach will always produce the same result. But that's actually not the case. The more you engage in the natural world, the more you realize every single instance is one of one and the species are co-evolving as well. So for example, a flock of uh, birds will contain multiple species, not just a single species, maybe like six different kinds of birds all in the same flock. You might just see them pass by and go, oh, look, it's a flock of birds. But when you pay attention and you actually look and see deeply into which species are there, 
you'll see that there's um, different approaches they have to gleaning food from, let's say, a large mature tree. So I talked to this ecologist about this once, and he's like, yeah, there's a lot of uh, lessons we can take from nature that we could apply to the workplace. For example, uh, the nuthatch will travel down the tree gleaning insects because its head is face down the bark. The chickadee will land on a branch and glean along the branch. But another species of bird, the brown creeper, will go up the tree and discover other food that the other species can't see because of their adaptation and perspective. So the, the three of them found that in each of their unique approaches, they could actually all hang together and have a stronger strategy survival while being different and unique. So how does this relate to the workplace and people? Well, we can have uh, job titles and job functions, but you take 20 people and you put them into that one position, they're going to do it 20 different ways. Okay. So underneath that, there's always a uniqueness as a leader and a manager you have to be paying attention to, not just the, the perfunctory task and goals, but how does this person do it and how can we interact together in the best manner? So what does it mean to, you know, understand the workplace as a cultural system? Well, one of the keys to uh, culture is realizing that it's like, like a living system in nature. It's always unfolding and changing. So it requires having a technology and a conscious technology of what kind of culture are we making and setting all the time? So a lot of people talk about culture at work and I really like the culture we have here, but you know, the, as a manager and a leader and the people that I work with, they're really interested in uh, enduring solutions to problems and they're interested in root causes in their, in their, their companies. And so understanding that cultures, um, they have, underlying unseen aspects that are going on all the time. And we know this from psychological sciences called cognitive biases. They exist in cultures. We see uh, systemic racism in cultures that are undiagnosed. We see um, challenges in hierarchy and communication that are unexpressed uh, and un, you know analyzed. So the key to understanding culture is that it's often invisible, but it can be deciphered through development of consciousness. And the technology for that has to do with reflection and self-observing and it's how do relationships keep changing over time. And that's why I'm talking about fixed mindset versus growth mindset. Nature is a really great place that you just can't go out there and assume it's going to be the same every day. Even the weather is constantly schooling you. Right. Yeah. You, you keep thinking it's going to be the same and culture is the same way. Don't think your company is the same. It was a week ago or a year ago. You have to get back in there and refresh your understanding of how are things unfolding. And earlier, Mark, you mentioned uh, before we started recording the six approaches or six tips. Um, can you can you elaborate on that uh, for the audience? Right. Well, one of these um, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll pre pre-state that six tips of a connected leader um, with uh, one of the unexamined uh, uh, epidemics that's going on in workplace cultures right now is around loneliness at work. 
And with the pandemic, it's, it's exposed even further with remote work. But imagine, you know, that we could be working alongside people every day and have this experience of not being seen, not being connected to. And there is this, uh, you could say, trend of like feeling embarrassed to express yourself or not really expressing your true concerns around things, not speaking up and certainly not innovating. So there's a, a big cost to this. And one of the people who exposed it during 2020 is the Surgeon General that's working under Biden right now. He also worked under Obama. He wrote a whole book on the epidemic of loneliness in our culture. It's an enormous issue. And why is, this, why is there a business case to this? Well, it's expensive. You know, there's it leads to stress. It leads to um, uh, inflammation in the body. And it leads to chronic illness. And it leads to mental health issues. And Harvard Business Review just did a six-part series in mental health issue right now. So he said the main solution, which is what I subscribe to, is connection, practices of connection. And we can actually institute these in the culture of a company on purpose. So this is what leads me to some tips I was going to offer your listeners today around a technology that out of which comes six techniques for human connection at work. So that's my intro. Is that sound good? Yeah, yeah. So what are the six techniques? All right. So so the six techniques are broken into three, uh, into two groups of uh, three. One group has to do with techniques that generate awareness because we have to have awareness to have agency. A lot of things that are going on in a culture are unseen or unexpressed. So we need to build this muscle of discernment. What is actually happening in front of me? What's presenting under the surface? And then the second three techniques have to do with meaning making, which is digesting that raw material into something that has significance. How does this apply to me? How does this relate to what we're struggling with at work? How does this relate to, you know, where we're at in the cycle of, of the year, the pandemic? Right. So, so in the awareness side, there's... Three, three things that I like to work with that interact. One of them has to do with the awareness of um, my relationship to all the things around me through the practice of gratitude. So gratitude as a cultural instrument, I believe is, is a leadership tool because it has you focus your mind's eye on the things that you're interdependent with and dependent on. Um, it's not necessarily like, uh, an acknowledgement, meaning like um, turning gratitude into I'm grateful for you because of this. I'm grateful for you because of that, like an honoring gratitude in its truest sense is a it's, a, it's a voluntary act of humility. And so you have to do this accounting every day of like, what am I thankful for that without which I would not be who I was. And what it does is it, it starts to name the things that you care about and you can actually integrate this practice at work, which sounds crazy, but I've been working on this for 15 years. And what happens is your employees start to build a bond with each other where their heart and their mind are coming to work. And that provides more access to a, another level of intelligence, especially caring. You know, there's a lot of issues around departments optimizing in their silo against another silo at the expense of the whole. You need the whole group moving in the same direction, but what's underdeveloped is people don't care about each other. So gratitude is a, is a, has a ton of benefits. Um, you, the science is crazy around it if you looked it up. 
Second awareness one is around uh, senses. This is a very direct and immediate capacity building, which is also related to your, your mental focus because we, we, our ears are working, but we don't always listen. A classic is, you know, and I like to combine this with nature connection, which is the third awareness producing one, which is finding a spot outside your house where you can sit for 20 minutes a day, preferably the same place. And combining that with sensory awareness, you start to realize that there's been a sound going on for the last five minutes, but I didn't hear it until I started asking myself, what are the sounds in the environment right now? It's part of my framework. What, what am I looking at? How is my peripheral vision related to my focus vision? What is the, what are the, the wind direction that's going on right now? What am I feeling in my body? What do I smell right now? And as you go through those, it starts to come on board in a sense, like, where was I the last five minutes? Was I in my head? Was I in, in this internal like self-concern? And as I get into my senses, I'm, I'm actually connecting with the environment. I've done pretty rigorous exercises around this with people, let's say just heading over to a, a, a patch of plants on the ground. Um, we do an offsite and we start working with our senses. And so there we are. I'm like, oh, what do you see on the ground? They see, oh, uh, bunch of green plants. I said, well, you know, look again, what are you noticing about the texture, you know, the color, the shape? And they realize after the fourth time I've asked them the same question, they're realizing there's seven different plants on the ground and their eyes were working all along, but they actually literally didn't discern that until they looked and looked again and then looked again. And what's amazing about that is it's kind of like working out in a gym. That in of itself is really kind of not useful. You're, you know, you're going around to different weight equipment and different, different, you know, stretching routines. So what? But how that tunes your body into an instrument for getting stuff done in the world. Now we're talking. So that, it, how would that sensory awareness apply to employee relations? You know, you look at a human being that you're working with, and then you look again, and then you look again, and you realize, oh they're really not performing at their potential because there's all this talent sitting on the table that's not recognized. I could place them in a place and position where they're much better used, you know, in this, in the, in the whole company. So it's that kind of presencing that is like a, it's like building a muscle. So that's, those are the three on the awareness side. And, this, and the sit spot is really important because it's, it's like uh, it builds a capacity of not moving around so much. There's a lot of busyness that prevents us from actually gain or gaining deeper insight into practice. So the key aspect of the sit spot is it's near your home. You do it on a regular basis and you have to do it for at least 20 minutes at a time with an intention, with, with a, a, an aim to be present, like using your senses, recounting gratitude. So the first three, the first one was gratitude. Yep. And I believe the second one was, was awareness. And then the, what was the third one? The awareness of your senses specifically, right? Yep. And the third one is called the sit spot. Okay. Got it. Like, let's say, like I have a chair on my porch, right? I, I, sometimes I drag my chair out to my maple tree and I sit out there and, you know, I get there and I'm like all in my day and all busy in my mind. And, and after a few minutes, I'm like, oh, what's new today? You know, I'm looking around and I'm checking it out, doing like a little inventory. Sure. And then I have a reflection around that. So the, the key is, so that's like the gym. You know, that's like the awareness gym that's building capacity. The other three, which is the technology now, 
moving from awareness to meaning making is making good on all that capacity building. So the first one is it's called, uh, it's a reflection. These are like reflection activities, but the first one is called story of the day. So part of my origin story is I was, I was traveling out in the world around innovating educational approaches. And I decided that I wanted to go deeper into human beings who really understood the natural world and living systems. Who are the experts in this? Who are the masters of this? And it quickly led me to native people here in North America and other continents. How do they raise their children? How do they survive the elements? What do they know about their ancestors that we've forgotten as modern people, you know, because they're closer to the earth? And, and one of the practices that came out of this inquiry was this notion of reflecting on the day through an oral tradition between a younger and an older. So like if you have a young audience listening to this podcast and you have a, a, an experience during the day, something happens, how do you make meaning out of that at the end of the day? Or do you just bury it and move on? And then maybe you have to relearn that again the next day and the next day and the next day. When does that gain some ground in choosing something different? Maybe there was an upset with somebody that you know. Maybe there was uh, a strategy that you attempted to do and that it got thwarted. So the, the dialogue between two people at the end of the day has to do with what happened today. Recount viscerally the sequence of events so I can see it in your mind's eye. And then the deeper question of, so what is that telling you about what your aim was at the beginning of the day? What's that telling you about your gift in the world, your, your purpose? What is that teaching you about what you might do next time in a different situation? And then you just listen. And the, and the person asking these questions could be a mentor, could be an, uh, an elder, if you know people who are in that position. Um, but there's someone who are tracking you over time. But the elder and, and the mentor, they're also interested in what's going on in the world. What's going on with young people? What's going on with the world at large right now? And it's a survival strategy, essentially, for gaining intel on how's our community doing. Story of the day. If you have a family, you do this at the dinner table. You could have fun and chit-chat, but you want to do an accounting. How's everyone doing? What happened today? So that's story of the day. Very powerful. And of course, the way it would work in the workplace is at the end of a cycle of productivity or every week. You close your books, close your computers, circle up, and you do a formal process of storytelling and reflection. We don't do enough of that when we're going from week to week to week to week. Mark, I want to go back to the first three. As a leader, how do you create systems around getting your people to journal on gratitude, spend time in self-awareness? Like, mm -hmm. How do you incentivize something like that? How would I incentivize it? Um, well... I think in I think with cultural approaches to connection, you don't have to incentivize them. You know, that's coming from like a reward-based uh, system. Like, you know, you'll get a, you'll get a raise if you do this, or you'll you know you'll you'll have a, a job promotion. But I think when people come into a company, they see that these practices are already on, ongoing. They're built into the more of the structure of how work gets done. For example, uh, there was a big standup in this tech company and they want to get through this thing in 30 minutes. And there was a uh, 80 people in this circle and there's three things everyone's got to report on. 
And we instituted gratitude as, as one of the three things. So they're going like, here's what I'm working on. Here are my blockers. This is my next steps. And what I'm thankful for today is da, 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 da. So you're saying your advice would be to structure it in a meeting? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then around the self-awareness piece, do you just kind of ask your people like, hey guys, this is something I highly recommend that you do and then report on it in our meeting kind of thing? Or do you have a, you know, a moment of silence in the meeting? What does that look like? Right. Yeah. If you were to do it um, uh, as part of a, a work ritual, you could call it a mindfulness activity. And what's cool about it is it's not necessarily um, esoteric or religious or spiritual, because I think some people get a little weird about that, you know, like, oh, I only do this in church or kind of other places. But but when we're just talking about our actual senses, we could say uh, there's some science behind it, you could say, right? That uh, if we take a minute in silence and we just follow our breath, just notice that, and then we just tune into our ears for a minute, what do we, what do we hear? And then afterwards we say, um, now that you've kind of done that, how do you feel now? And just do a little before and after test. And you could do thumbs up, thumbs down. You could do a uh, finger count. You know, sometimes they say just on a scale of one to 10, how are people doing now? And they just put the numbers up. And then if you got a low number, you could say, you know, this is, this is another thing I saw a manufacturing company do. They actually do a check-in. And this is a, a, a much more trusting level of human connection, which you might do in a team that's a smaller team. And the check-in is like, if someone gives a low number, you actually give space of saying, uh, you, wanna, you wanna name what that is. We don't have to go into it, but you know, is, are you, do you need a break? You know, do you need right. something? And that, that just allows them to maybe put their problems aside for a minute or to go get help. So right. that's, that's, that's tied into that practice. Okay. Yeah. I like that. I, um, you know, I'm always thinking through, especially leadership advice, like how can I practically apply that in the workplace? And, you know, when I say incentivize, I don't necessarily mean, um, quantitative incentives, but more or less, how do I get my people to do that on a regular basis and to uh -huh. understand the rewards of that? So number four was, um, story of the day. What's number five? Journaling. So you don't always have an elder mentor or someone to dialogue this with, but I really encourage that because, you know, the, the culture of, of asking people deeper questions about reflection is really important because you get fresh things you couldn't have th thought of yourself. If you're down to just yourself, you can actually develop open-ended questions for yourself. You become your own mentor in a sense. And the key with, the key with that is consistency. And where do you put this journal? And you have a journal by your bedside, you have a journal at work. And some of the key things with that that can be helpful is, what's my intention today? And so your, your journaling could just be a prompt for being awake to something. Mm. You know, in a, you could have a goal, but you could, you could have an internal goal, you could have an, an external goal, let's say. And then at the end of the day, the journal is what happened with those two things. You might realize I didn't pay one attention to that internal goal all day long. Now that I look back on it, da, 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 da. And what's powerful about that is if you do it again the next day, you start to develop this inkling of like, oh yeah, this is the moment where I drift away and start, you know, whatever, hanging out on Facebook. So, <laughs> so that's really key is the consistency of that. Gotcha. And last and the, but not least. And the last one is the art of questioning. Okay. And the art of questioning is 
uh, harder than it sounds. So when I was working uh, in this company in Indiana, the COO, she said, I'm finding that my, my managers are not curious. They don't inquire into how people are doing. They just are perfunctory and transactional in their relationships. Mm. I really find that it's important to understand the human being that's doing the work. How can we make them more curious? And so I really meditated on that. And I thought, you know, curious isn't something you can make people be. Like, be curious. How would you do that, right? It's just like, I don't know. Especially if you didn't, if you weren't curious. <laughs> so I was like, I think it's an outcome. I think we should measure curiosity as an outcome of some other practice. And so it occurred to me that curiosity in its most functional task is asking questions, either quietly internally or just externally. And what kind of questions? Questions that don't have an answer. It's, it doesn't end up in yes or no with the other person. And people generally box people into yes or no questions or worse, single answer questions. And sometimes they actually are just making a statement disguised as a question. And it doesn't actually lead to any uh, fresh interaction. And I was like, well, why is that? I think people don't want to ask more open-ended questions because they don't know where the conversation is going to go. They don't know what the answer is going to be. They don't know what's going to come out of their mouth. And you know what? You can't control it at that point. You can't look good. You don't know how it's going to unfold, how much time this is going to take. So we don't develop the skill to get in and out of an open-ended conversation. And that's why we're not curious. It's like, it's like that functional. So we, we do drills you know, during the offsites around open-ended questions and then build it into management practice. So you have to uh, work with an employee around a certain task. You can do a check-in, how's it going? Any questions, da, da, da. But you might also ask, what's one thing you're learning so far today? And nobody gets asked that question. They're like, what's one thing I'm learning so far today? Yeah, that's something, what's something you're learning about yourself today? Something internal, something external. And then they just get better at answering. They say, oh, uh, well, you know, now that you mention it, um, I realize that if I can get in my chair right at nine o'clock with a glass of water and I close my eyes for a second, I am so much more productive than if I crash into work and I'm not da 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 da. They might not have actually consciously realized that until you asked them that question. Yeah, so I think you know a common theme that I'm gain that I'm gaining from from learning from you, Mark, is that um, our people might need to slow down. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yep. Hurry up and slow down. There's there's a, a big cost for moving quickly. Um, it seems like it's the the more e efficient thing to do, but it's maybe not effective. Right. It's sort of the tortoise and the hare. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. And so it's, it's almost like this, uh, I picture, you know, sort of pulling back the slingshot, right? Like that's to do that correctly. It, it might take a moment. And then when mm -hmm. you let it go, once you do it correctly, it goes mm -hmm. further, right? So that moment when mm -hmm. they sit down at 9am and they take a breath or the five minutes of meditation in a meeting, right? Those seem counterproductive. Um, mm -hmm. But if you're able to experience that episode, you're saying that people will ultimately be more productive and, you know, contribute more to the overall benefit of the workplace and hopefully society. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, there's a lot of evidence for that, you know, at the individual level and at the uh, cultural level. 
an individual level would be like, you go up to somebody and, and without saying hello or finding out how they're doing, you say, can I have this from you? Can I extract something from you? And they could get irritated with you and withhold. Right. <laughs> this person doesn't care about me. They just want to take from me. I'm actually going to give them less than what they're asking for. That happens. And then there's uh, some neuroscience that supports this too around, they call it uh, cognitive load, where your frontal lobe, because of the type of work that we're doing so much uh, these days in terms of working with technology, uh, sitting down and focusing all the time on conceptual ideas, uh, like in, like in software, you know, it's like, that's, that, that's the world of frontal lobe work that we actually b reduce our capacity, uh, over time. And if you take a break and you go outside and they call it, uh, activities of awe and reverence, which I think is why gratitude works this way. Looking up at the sky, just taking a moment, allowing your eyes dissolve focus, just listening to what stirs you in the moment. That actually creates a mental rest and your cognitive load decreases and you can go back and get back into the game again. So you could call it going left before right or pulling back the slingshot, but absolutely we need to realize that we're, we're a living system and we can't just keep doubling down on more and more efficiency and expect the same result. That's good. What leadership capabilities, in your opinion, do you think are most needed you know, as we face the challenges of the 21st century? Yeah, what challenge do we wanna take on with this question? Uh, loneliness? Uh, connection, uh, survival. Well, uh, is, is there, <laughs> there a lot of options, right? Is there different leadership capabilities for those different instances? Or do you think there's a characteristic, um, that you would prefer, you know, if we're talking about the ideal leader, what do they look like to you? Well, you know, one thing that's coming to my mind is, uh, when we talk the 21st century, I'm thinking about a lot of disruption and, that can come in the form of the pandemic and maybe more pandemics. It can come from climate change disruption, which includes like massive amounts of refugee waves coming in and new types of workers. And, and then you have uh, millennial generation disruption going on. Um, we have uh, a lot more activity around social justice and demands for um, equity in the world. What kind of leader is going to adjust well to those things? And I think one that is spending a lot more time on personal development and compassion. So it, there's an internal self-observing and self-awareness aspect that, that is required, but then there's this external considering and caring that's required. Neither of those sound like getting more work done, but leaders who don't develop those skills, I think will be just irrelevant. Right. They'll be left behind. What about right. business in this age of disruption, right? Um, yeah. What do you think contributes most to business success? For example, you know, market timing could be argued, leadership, teamwork, company culture, mm -hmm. product. What mm -hmm. one of those things do you think trumps the rest? Oof. Well, certainly culture trumps. Company culture trumps. And I'm, I'm suggesting that you do culture on purpose. And so what is your blueprint gonna be for culture? Where, what do you draw from? I draw from living systems because I feel like as human beings, we actually are a living system, but we've been designing workplaces more mechanically. Um, the other one is talent development. 
you know, and talent in general is, is it's very precious more and more, I think. And it's very expensive to, to lose people. So understanding how to work with human beings um, is an incredible, important strategy. And I think the third one um, is around developing a different level of relationship with your, your customers and clientele um, at, at a more of a level of a partnership and considering all the stakeholders in your ecosystem, uh, moving from shareholder prejudice or bias to stakeholder bias, which means, uh, you know, considering your, let's say, suppliers as an intimate part of your workplace culture and developing them and in and, and terms of how are they performing better downstream in their interests. So the more you care and understand all the people in your stakeholder system, the more non-displaceable you are to them. It's really interesting. Mark, um, the, you know, this theme of like nature, living systems, art, and then um, evolving it or, or meshing it, it with this the business world is fascinating to me. Do you have any book recommendations or maybe like your top three that, that inspire, you know, in this world, like that people can gain a little bit of both? Um. <clears throat> Let's see, what is current on my book list? Well, there's a there's a author that I was listening to. I'm, I'm in podcast mode right now, um, but he was reporting on a book that he wrote a bunch of years ago called Reinventing Organizations. <clears throat> and this was some high level stuff that is taking 10 years to unpack, <clears throat> which happens when people are coming in with a whole new paradigm of learning. Um, he's talking about flattening hierarchy. He's talking about self-managing teams. And I think people are like, whoa, 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 how are we possibly going to you know, get work done? But now people are starting to work with those ideas and adapt and adopt them. And, and they're coming back saying, okay, there's merit to this. That's one. Um, there is a, there is a, a book that goes way back around um, learning organizations, organizations, I think it's called the fifth discipline where there is a an image that the organization itself is a living being as opposed to a mechanical machine you know or like an industrial era image like a factory uh and and so that that gets you to really reconsider how the whole thing is so dynamic and i think that the last one is there's one called the regenerative business written by carol sanford Uh, i've spent a lot of time learning with her she's really provoking uh 21st century thinking around regeneration and regenerative businesses, which means we're not extracting from the world and externalizing costs like healthcare or environmental costs. We're not just arresting disorder, like more rules and more sustainability policies. We're not just doing good in a fragmented approach of more ping pong tables in the workplace, more fragmented initiatives, and in, in volunteering in the community, she's suggesting a whole other order of regeneration it has to do with evolving the capacity of the whole system to thrive. So that provokes a lot of creativity and imagination. She's got a lot of good business case studies in that book. So I recommend it. All right. Two more questions and I'll let you go, Mark. Um, <laughs> I got to credit Tim Ferriss. If you follow Tim, uh, these are from some of his episodes because I love them. The first one yep. is, 
what's one of the best purchases that you've made for, we'll say under a hundred dollars in the last few months? Best purchases. <clears throat> Just one. What's the, your favorite thing that you've spent a little bit of money on in the past couple months? I'm looking around. Um, <laughs> could be a gadget, could be a plant, could be a book. Um, gosh. I don't, I don't do a lot of purchases like that, but I know there is one. Oh, I got one. I bought some pottery and it's, it's designed by the potter to ferment vegetables as opposed to using glass. So it's this beautiful shaped pot and it's designed on an ancient design from a culture that's been fermenting for hundreds and hundreds of years. I thought, ah, that'd be cool. I like a beautiful artwork that I actually make food in. That's awesome. Uh, last one, man, if you could put anything on a big blank billboard over the busiest intersection you can think of, what would it say? I think in the spirit of regeneration, I would provoke people with that proverb that says, um, you know, you can fish for a man and he can eat for a day, or you can teach him how to fish and he can eat for a lifetime. Love it. Mark, thanks again for being on the podcast. I've learned a ton from you. I'm sure our audience has as well. And I'm inspired to spend a little bit more time in nature and more yeah. time by myself thinking about the changes taking place in nature and then applying that to work. Uh, thanks again for being on the show and I hope you have a good rest of your day. Thank you, Jared. 